right, our third speaker is Matthew Snelson. Um, he's a repeat speaker here at the laboratory. Um, Matthew is an accredited practicing dietitian. He's worked in Perth for several years as a clinical dietitian before relocating to Melbourne to commence a PhD at the Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes Institute. His PhD project is investigating the effects of a processed diet like burgers on gut homeostasis and the contribution that these changes make to the development of diabetic kidney disease. How are we all feeling? He's a regular science presenter at Laneway Learning in Melbourne and has run science classes during National Science Week and Melbourne Knowledge Week. Um, he recently travelled to Tokyo and won a highly commended award for his presenting. Please make Matthew feel very welcome. Hello, Labora Story. Uh, we're going to start. I'm going to do a little bit of a quiz, guys. Uh, because I want to just assess what your knowledge level is at. Um, so guys, I want you to give me a cheer if, you're f if you've heard of the steam engine. Yeah? G give us a cheer if you've heard of the transistor. Yeah? Um, give us a cheer if you've heard of the polymerase chain reaction. A lot of molecular biology fans in the room tonight. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so the polymerase chain reaction... Uh, commonly called PCR, uh, for those that don't know. It's, it did for biology what the transistor did for computing and electronics. Um, it's basically said that biology can be divided into two ages, the age before PCR and the age after PCR. So for those that don't know, what it is, PCR is basically a way to make lots and lots of copies of a particular bit of DNA, say like a gene, for example. And this is important because imagine your DNA as being a big pile of hay. And do you want to find a particular gene in that pile of hay? Except in this analogy, that needle in that haystack, it's hay-coloured and feels like hay as well. It's very hard to find. What PCR allows us to do is make lots and lots of identical copies of that gene. So suddenly you've got this massive pile of identical needles. It's very easy then to go and find that gene and study it. Um, before PCR, this was something that was very hard to do. You had to do it, this amplification step in bacteria. It would take weeks to do. With the advent of PCR, we can do it in a couple of hours. Um, without PCR, we would not be able to study genes. We would not be able to study DNA. We couldn't you know, diagnose children with genetic disorders. Without PCR, there would be no CSI. I'm going to talk, I'd like to talk today about Carrie Mullis. Who has heard of Carrie Mullis? Anyone? Okay, so Carrie Mullis. is I want to talk about because he's the, he's the guy that invented PCR. Um, he's a keen surfer, and to give you an idea of the guy, an interviewer in 1991 described him as this. Uh, coined him as the rebel genius uh, from the reporter. He said, he swaggered in wearing jeans, cracking jokes in a sharp southern accent, ordering drinks, and behaving overall like a regular person. Oh. So, who would have thought? Um, Mullis's mother reports that as a child, uh, her lively son got into all sorts of trouble, uh, shutting down the house's electricity, uh, building rockets, blasting small frogs hundreds of feet into the air. Uh, in 1966, at the age of 22, he got his Bachelor's of Chemistry, uh, then he got married, had a kid, started a business, all that, all that normal stuff. In 1968, at the age of 24, published his first uh, paper, 
It was a short, single-authored uh, paper titled Cosmological Significance of Time Reversal, uh, which he published in Nature. It was about how he viewed the universe whilst on LSD. <laughs> and he liked LSD. Quote, uh, back in the 1960s and early 70s, I took plenty of LSD. A lot of people were doing that in Berkeley back then, and I found it to be more mind-opening uh, than any course I ever took. Years later, in 1997, he would uh, tell a reporter at the BBC, what if I had not taken LSD ever? Would I have still invented PCR? I don't know, I doubt it, I seriously doubt it. <laughs> this story is not encouraging drug use, by the way. Um, uh, so in 1973, he, uh, at the age of 29, he got his PhD and promptly left science to write fiction. He then he came back to science, he did a postdoc in Kansas, uh, here he met his second wife, Kansas. Um, he was in Kansas, sorry, he met his second wife, Cynthia, and had two more kids. <laughs> he then left that postdoc and managed a bakery for two years. Uh, finally, a friend encouraged him to get back into science, and in 1979, got him a job at a biotech company. He was 35 at this point. Um, it was while here, in uh, 1983, at the age of 39, whilst working on DNA fragments, that he came up with PCR. And the discovery of PCR is interesting because it's one of those eureka moments of science. Uh, it was, here's a quote from Melissa. I was just driving and thinking about ide ideas and suddenly I saw it. I saw the polymerase chain reaction as clear as if it were up on a blackboard in my head. So I pulled over and I started scribbling. Now his girlfriend was in the car at the time having left wife number two in uh, 1981. Quote, Jennifer objected groggily to the delay in the light, but I exclaimed I had discovered something fantastic. Unimpressed, she went back to sleep. <laughs> um, now, there has been some criticism over the amount of credit that Kerry gets for the uh, discovery of PCR. I mean, during the 50s, uh, Arthur Kornberg, he discovered DNA polymerase. Now, this is the enzyme that makes copies of DNA. So all of us, every uh, living creature has DNA polymerase in them. It's part of our way of replicating our own DNA. Um, and during the 60s, Gobind Karana assembled the first synthetic gene using this enzyme DNA polymerase and other enzymes that are used to cut and copy DNA. Uh, in 1969, then Thomas Brock isolated a new species of bacteria uh, that was from hot springs in Yellowstone National Park. And this um, bacteria was quite special. It lived in hot springs, so it was used to operating at a hot environment. And its version of this enzyme, its version of DNA polymerase worked best at a hot temperature around 75 to 90 degrees. Um, and in 1976, that enzyme was isolated. And this is a very special enzyme because what it means is you can heat up the solution that you're working with to that temperature to turn the enzyme on to activate it. And then you can cool it back down to turn it off. Um, and that's what we, we do today. That's how we manage to, to make these genes, to um, no, sorry, replicate genes, rather. So basically all this stuff has been working up to it, and it was, had been said that by 1980, all of the components, all the things that you needed to perform PCR amplification were known by the scientific community. Uh, but it wasn't until 1983 that Kerry put it all together. Um, and the Scientific American would then say, after the discovery of it, that PCR is surprisingly simple. But no one had put all the parts together. No one 
had seen it all, the potential there, except Carrie. And that's not all that Carrie saw. I want to tell a story now. In 1985, he went out to his cabin in Mendinso County, California. He got there about midnight, and then he saw a glowing green raccoon. From, this is from his autobiography. The raccoon, the raccoon turned to me, looked at me, and said, Good evening, doctor. <laughs> he denies any involvement of LSD in this encounter. But he's adamant that it occurred. Quote, I wouldn't try to publish a scientific paper about these things because I can't do any experiments. I can't make glowing raccoons appear. I can't buy them from a scientific supply house to study. I can't cause myself to be lost again for several hours, but I don't deny what happened. It's what science calls anecdotal because it only happened in a way that you can't reproduce, but it happened. Um, so in 1993, he gets the Nobel Prize. Um, and interesting, on the morning of his acceptance speech, uh, he was nearly arrested by Swedish authorities for the inappropriate use of a laser pointer. Uh, he was up in his hotel room and uh, just pointing at people in the street as they went past. <laughs> Upon receiving the Nobel Prize, he said that the prize would be, quote, a great way to pick up babes. Um, a reporter asked him about this comment, said, oh, that's, that's a bit on the nose, a bit, what's, what's up with that? Um, to which he replied, quote, they just want to show you that I'm not politically correct. Well, I'm not, and the reason is that I already got my money from the Swedes, right? I'm done, I'm fixed, I'm a free agent, and it is the most wonderful feeling. There is nobody on the planet that can fuck with me, and I can say exactly what I feel about any issue, and I'm going to do that. And he did. Uh, in 1996, he wrote the foreword to the book, Inventing the AIDS Virus, uh, written by Peter Duesberg, who's a molecular biologist who denies that HIV is the causative factor in AIDS. Um, and this blessing from a Nobel Prize winner uh, certainly gave some credibility to in the public's eyes, at least, uh, to Duesberg, who spearheaded the AIDS denialism movement, which has been shunned by the vast majority of AIDS researchers. Uh, Kerry was quoted in 1998 saying, Years from now, people will find our acceptance of the HIV theory of AIDS as silly as we find those who excommunicated Galileo. Um, this, is, this is the dark part of the story, by the way, guys. Um, Carrie would then later write the foreword to the book, What If Everything You Knew About AIDS Was Wrong? Uh, which was written by Christine Marjorie, uh, who was, was a big fan of AIDS denialism as well. Like She was an activist, so a HIV-positive activist, Activist, uh, who refused anti-HIV drugs, including during pregnancy. Uh, sadly, both uh, Christine and her three-year-old daughter would later pass away due to AIDS-related illnesses. And according to Carey's website, he still disputes the link between HIV and AIDS. Uh, he also disputes uh, that global warming is linked to man's activities. Quote, I read a lot and think a lot, and I can talk about almost anything. Being a Nobel laureate is a license to be an expert in lots of things, as long as you do your homework. He was giving a, he was giving a lecture in 2000 uh, at a college in America, and a student and during the question section pointed out that he's actually a chemist, uh, not a biologist or a physicist, uh, to which he replied, and you are nothing but a little boy. Um, so Kerry, he's always been, been a bit of a non-conformist. He's always questioned the status quo. He's always thought uh, someone outs outside the box. Uh, and this has obviously benefited him greatly. And it's benefited science as well. It's created uh, PCR, which has revolutionized 
biology as we know it. Um, and he gives, he gives advice to young scientists. Uh, quote, I suggest that you keep your eyes open for things you are not supposed to know about. You may have something to contribute. At a meeting, don't gravitate to the poster that looks the most like something you are working on. Do a clean sweep of the room. Check out all the posters and find the one you know the least about and maybe think you have the least interested in. Now is the time to find out about it. So while, while Carrie Mullis, he is, he is an extreme example, it does remind us of the importance of keeping an open mind. However, you know, as it has been said uh, before, you know, if you open your mind too much, you might start seeing glowing green raccoons. Thank you very much, guys.